Welcome to Honest Retail, the weekly podcast that dishes out the truth about the latest news, trends, and blunders from the CPG, consumer, and retail industries. Now, here are your hosts, Cameron McCarthy, Taylor Foxman, and Carlton Fowler. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Honest Retail. Uh, unfortunately, I know I kind of teased a guest last week, uh, but unfortunately, we had a last minute cancellation. So we'll try to get him back on uh, over the next week or two. Uh, but it's just the OGs today, which is uh, still going to make for a great episode. Uh, Taylor, CJ, how are you both doing? Doing well, Cam. How are you doing, Taylor? I'm good. I, today's the first day that it's not like a hell hole here in Manhattan. I think there's a breeze. So feeling good. Not this, feeling as overwhelmed or overheated. This August, is, August yeah. in Manhattan is a tough look. Everything smells like wet garbage. It's the worst. And it, it's absolutely miserable. And it's like, you just, there's no reprieve from it. You know what I mean? Like, even if you have, you won the lottery, you still have to deal with the smell of, of trash. So yeah. This is false fall. Like this is like the week that I usually call like false fall where it's like, I'm going to start buying Oktoberfest. I'm going to get excited about September coming and like football. And then it's going to be hot as hell for like the last two weeks of August and like a week yeah. into into September. Like this is like my hope for fall. And then like it all crumbles. But like, yeah, yesterday is like you go outside and you like feel sick to your stomach with how gross it is here for sure. Um, also, Taylor, I also, I liked the, like the sharing of the, the fridge on Twitter. Um, it really inspired me, although I did cheat and, and judge it up a little bit before I posted it. Uh, but I did like that. You post. did. That's not the point. <laughs> and someone, I did a photo. I put a photo up of my fridge last night and I have to be honest, trolls are like a real thing. I got people that have commented reposting it saying this girl doesn't have food in her fridge. I'm like, have you lived in Manhattan? I work until nine o'clock at night. I have pantry items that are not visible in that fridge photo, you troll. And in addition to that, everything I order other than fruits, vegetables, and yogurt and stuff in the pantry is seamless. And you know what? If you want to hate me, so be it. But I was getting a lot of hate. Like, does this girl only drink water and have probiotics? I'm like, no, but space is limited and seamless is easy. If you know, if you haven't listened to the podcast, you don't know Taylor only eats things with like a 10 year shelf life that is okay to not be refrigerated. So <laughs> washes it down with blistering. <laughs> the freezer is definitely packed. Um, but yeah, it is. no. It is. Um, yeah, no, I had to get like, uh, I had to get the Vesso bottle in there. So I had to, I had to zhuzh it up a little bit. And then I realized I had like my tip top cocktails in the fridge, which is like, it's probably like a no, no to like have the Manhattan in the fridge or whatever. But my wife was like, get these off the counter. So, um, yeah, but with, with that Taylor, any brands in the, in the fridge or anything, uh, this last yeah. week that kind of popped out to you? Yeah, I so Luke from Can sent me a bunch of stuff a few weeks ago, and they launched like Can Light. Um, so some of the flavors I think are like jalapeno, cucumber. They're just absolutely delicious. And I was on their Instagram last night, and they're like, "Guys, stop asking us!" Like the number one thing that Can gets is, "Why can't you give me these drinks in my state?" And it's like back to square one of how cannabis regulations work. Um, I'm pretty bummed because it's like dangling something that I like would like to have every night uh, that I can't, but um, it's just, you know, they, they've created these, I, he sent me like tall boys. So those are just like super high proof THC beware-ish type of drinks. 
And then he created the lights, which are low cal, low sugar, really interesting kind of fresh light flavors and um, half THC and half CBD. So um, I'm a huge fan. I may even like take a train up to Boston or somewhere, no one heard that, um, to, to try to get some. But I, I'm now hooked and that's an issue because I can't get them here. So. Massachusetts, like, or, or the whole, like everything east of the Rockies, like the amount that like edibles and, and beverages being a subsection of edibles, like it is like double the, the, the market penetration. Like the, these legacy markets like California and Colorado and Oregon that have been smoking for 30 years, like it's not quite as big, but like, I can't believe how, how, how much the, like the newer consumers embracing edibles. I think it's great. Um, you know, cause they're, they're, they're a terrific form factor, but yeah, pop up to Boston, like the, all, all of the, uh, all the dispensaries of yeah. beverages. Yeah. I mean, I used to work for a bunch of dispensaries out of Boston. They have a huge, I mean, you know, it's, it's just, a, it's a, I don't know, it's a good state for it to say the least, but, um, yeah, so can, can's new light flavors. They just, I really like them. So yeah. CJ, how about you? Um, I have been absolutely crushing belly wellies. Oh uh, yeah. Dude, they're like, like they're cookies. Um, they might be slightly good for you, but they're cookies. Um, and like so I was I was talking to the founder there, and she's like, Yeah, you know, like you know, our, our, our you know power consumers eat like four of these a day. I was like, What? And then what? I got a box of them, and I was like, Yeah, man, I crushed like five of them yesterday um they're they're awesome um and then i've also been been drinking uh the half day teas um i i don't i don't Do really like know. them I, I mean i i like them because they taste like arizona iced tea um mm. you know the the you know the less sugar versions but i don't think that there is um uh you know the artificial sweeteners in here it looks like it's stevia and um some agave fiber, some peach juice concentrate. So, I mean, they're 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 low enough sugar, but they have a little bit of sugar in there for mouthfeel. Um, they have a little bit of of juice in there. Um, they're delicious. I um, you know I'm talking with that team later this week. I don't you know I don't I don't know kind of how necessarily you know I don't have a full picture of how they're doing. I don't you know tea is a really competitive category, but um, you know you can tell which things delete from our office pretty quickly because they're like, you know, belly wellies and half days are going to get deleted. Um, so. Isn't that the, I was meeting with, um, I met with Greer from Simple Foods yesterday. And I think they've also invested in, in belly wellies. Is that the one that's like hot girls have IBS or am I thinking yeah. of like the totally different? No, it is. Like, they, yeah. they put like, and you know, I mean, that, that billboard is, that's phenomenal. <laughs> and she, she was, she was in like legitimately, in in the in the areas because you know, they're mainly D to C, um, but in the areas that they have um, a physical shelf presence, when they pop up a hot girls have IBS billboard, they get like a forty percent lift. Um, wow. So and like I, I mean it's like a neon pink billboard that just says hot girls have IBS. Um, <laughs> so like, good, Cam. It's so good. So good. I gotta go check it. It's like go Google that. That's pretty funny. I can tell you that my Instagram feed. The algorithm is doing some really weird stuff after I've spent a lot of time on the Belly Welly website. Like it's, it suddenly thinks that I am a female with IBS. Um, you're, and, you're getting served ads for like colon broom <laughs> or whatever yeah, that thing is. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, get, I get that because my, my, my partner, James, sends me the colon broom ads every time he sees one because he's convinced that's a way we can quickly lose weight. I'm like, bro, I don't think it's going to work that way. <laughs> 
that's uh yeah those and all like the tummy tees that you see are like uh like definitely um not cutting it for for long-term results um yeah for for me uh I, I haven't tried a ton this week um one of the things i don't know if i talked about but i tried like two weeks ago was cacao water um i thought it was pretty good uh obviously like there's a lot of waste going into chocolate uh but it's like this new brand uh, packaging is really slick um, but I guess it's just the water that comes when you crack, uh, crack open a cacao plant. Uh, it was a little like overly sweet for me. Like I would probably have to like cut it in half with water to like be an everyday drinker. Uh, but the packaging's like in a, um, kind of like every single beverage brand looks a little similar right now. Uh, I thought the packaging, uh, really stood out. Um, what's, it, what's it called? It's just called cacao water. Uh, so it's called blue stripes, urban cacao. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm looking at yeah. it right now. Um, I'm all about, I love cacao. For, for a while there, I was doing full like brewing my own cacao instead of coffee in the morning, but kind of backed off that. I'm going to check. You were having like a ceremony and everything? Like, oh, uh... yeah. You know, like <laughs> pray the shrine. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Um, I love it because like when you buy it, they, they send it to you in these like bricks that are wrapped and they look absolutely like kilos of Coke. Uh, <laughs> so like you put those in your pantry and you're like, yeah, all right, cool. I'm, I got to, I got to own these corners. Yeah, it's uh, I remember like the last person I, I worked for before starting the, the we stock, like they they were really big into cow and it was like it was like a full ceremony. They would have people over. Uh, it's like a pretty re religious experience. But uh, yeah, this this was good. Um, like the flavors like uh, like chili, lime, mango. They were interesting, just like a little too sweet for me. Uh, and another one's one I haven't tried yet, but I like can't wait. I, I think they're like pre-launch, but it's called Dimmy. Uh, actually, I'll put it in the chat. But like, they look like the most delicious, like on the go or like one time, like snacks. Like there are these little like fudge cakes and carrot cakes and cheesecakes in these little glass containers. Uh, very similar to like Petit Po and kind of like that branding, uh, but like a little bit more uh, gourmet probably. Um, but yeah, I'm not a big dessert guy, but these look awesome and I'm excited to, to try them out once they do officially launch. Do we, um, do we tag all the brands that we talk about in the upfront when, when this post? So post? usually, so, uh, our, like, uh, Julie on our social team does. Um, sure. so, uh, but I'll make sure we do that one too. The other one's crafted energy. They reached out to me on Twitter. I'm excited to try it. They sent me some samples. So, uh, that looks uh, pretty good as well. So yeah, so those were, um, that's kind of the roundup of brown brands that we wanted to highlight. Uh, let's dive into the topics. Um, I think anybody, especially people that kind of were on uh, like the CPG Twitter uh, verse, uh, saw the posts uh, about House. Um, it, it looks like they're um, going to have to shutter kind of business upcoming because uh, the round that was coming together, uh, which I think was their Series A um, for their next stage of growth, uh, Constellation, who was going to lead that round, uh, decided to step back. Uh, obviously, House is like, if not one of the, it is the DTC darling, um, probably from a few years ago. I think a lot of people seeing this headline are kind of like, if it can happen to a brand like that, it can, can happen to anyone. Um, but I think like a lot of us have pretty strong feelings about the brands and, and kind of the situation and, and kind of where they could go. So CJ, let, let's start with you. Um, kind of what were your thoughts? Uh, like once one, when you saw uh, the post from uh, I believe it's uh, Elena. Helena um, is is the name of the founder. Uh, kind of, what was your thoughts on that? And um, you know, we'll kind of kick it around to a roundtable conversation. Yeah, I mean, my first overall thought is like it's a bummer when these companies go out of business. Because I know how much work the founders put into them, and 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 how you know definitely was kind of a pioneer. I think that like when you read some of the articles around it, and 
you know, talk about how we were, we were never able to really find a lead. We had to you know, collect all these small checks because alcohol is a vice. Like, you know, we lead alcohol rounds. There's plenty of other folks who lead alcohol rounds. Um, I, th I think that I think that it's certainly an interesting look to flame one of the largest alcohol beverage companies in the country on the way out the door. Um, I, 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 I'm guessing that means she probably doesn't intend to have her next venture be in BevAlk. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I think it's like there was a lot of enthusiasm around D2C and what it could mean. And it's not that e-com isn't still growing in alcohol. It really is. It's just that like you, you know, the shelf kind of remains undefeated and you, you still have to have a shelf presence. And like, I, I, I don't have any inside information around, around the actual constellation, you know, back out, but I, you know, I imagine it has a lot more to do with the fact that house hadn't performed in the real liquor store and, you know, and chains than it did with Constellation doing something nefarious. Um, because she, you know, House convinced a lot of folks that their loophole was special. Um, and a lot of folks who I think weren't really familiar with the industry, they're like, oh, we're going to act like a spirit, but we're going to sell D to C. And everybody just kind of bought into that narrative. And that narrative never flipped over to, we're going to sit next to Aperol and do really well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think like that was, I remember like the early articles, it was kind of like that low ABV loophole was really kind of like the big selling point in, in really honestly, like a big conversation point in like the press and the marketing, uh, around the brand as well. Um, Taylor, kind of what were your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I think, you know, the one thing I, I, the takeaway, I agree. I mean, it's super sad. I think she did a really great job at kind of just developing just such a buzz around this business and, you know, gaining just, I don't know, brand loyalty and conversation and really everything you would want from, from a business that's starting out, you know, especially on direct to consumer. Um, you know, I, I too was a little bit surprised that, you know, the name of the business, um, you know, was, um, you know, or the name of the, the company was called out in particular. Uh, with that being said, I think just broadly based on what I heard too, like, you know, I think there were some things that potentially, you know, they could have been done better. So in terms of spending and just, I don't know, across the board. So I think it's a good case study in just, you know, as close as you can, just like, you know, trying to be mindful of, of spend and budget and even optics too, and like how things are positioned in terms of like the teams and the structures of these companies. Um, I think just all of it, you know, A, at, at a high level, I think she did a fantastic job at, at you know, developing a brand that, the way that she did. Um, but again, just reading some of the stories, I think there's just takeaways, you know, like I think there's interesting takeaways for other brands that are starting out, whether they're direct to consumer or not, that maybe can be helpful for them as they kind of move through all their own next steps, so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely super sad for the team over there. Um, you know, we work with them and, you know, obviously I'm bummed about, you know, the emails I probably expect to see over the next few weeks from from people I've worked with uh, over there on that team. And the products is awesome. I mean, like, um, you know, I, I really am a big fan of the product and, and the branding uh, was definitely kind of... Uh, um, really leading the way uh, when it launched a few years ago. Um, and I think uh, there's definitely lessons to be learned here. I think what you're seeing is like a little bit of an overreaction. I think Kiva mentioned this on Twitter the other day, but it's like this idea of like, 
ha, like beverage doesn't work online. Um, and I, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts. Um, obviously, both of you are more entrenched in the beverage world than me, but like CJ, we can start with you. Like, where where is beverage's place like DTC? And like, where do you see the, the good brands thriving here over the next few years? And, and how are they approaching it? I mean, it, it's, it's very bifurcated. You are either trying to make a marketing channel that hopefully pays for itself or doesn't lose very much money, or, or you have to have a margin high enough to be able to ov overcome the, the other issues. And like anything, if you, if you treat it as anything in between and this notion of like, oh, maybe I can get it big enough to scale, like that's, that's very, very difficult. You know? and, and so it's, it's why I, I, know I, I really sometimes dis, you know, discount really high, you know, really high percentage of volumes going through something like an Amazon um, unless, unless you have just massive manufacturing scale that can, that can get you there. Cause at the end of the day, you're shipping water. Um, you know, so it's, I, I, I do think that alcohol is the right place for it. Um, whether or not that necessarily manifests itself as a lot of individually successful D2C brands, or, you know, more likely it's like, Hey, the more the more and varied and, and and specifically ultra premium and up options that use the right tools to allow themselves to have a more close conversation with the direct consumer that's great you can make money shipping a hundred dollar bottle of whiskey it's really hard to make money shipping a you know a six pack for 12 bucks of tea you know you're, you're, you're like <laughs> lose money on every on every unit and make it up on volume like no that's not gonna work yeah Taylor, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I think brands can survive online. I just think there is still something to be said for people trying products like liquid to lips. I don't know, like maybe I'm super old school, but I also think like you can't outmarket literally metaphorically a lot of these bigger companies. So it's like, I think it's a, definitely a, a strong vehicle, but I think it, it, it would have to be kind of this point in time, especially for newer brands, like part of a wider strategy versus a standalone. I mean, there are those exceptions, but. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I think maybe like they could have went into retail a little bit sooner. I, I think they raised like seventeen million dollars to date, so that's a lot. I think to just be focusing on that one channel. So maybe like being able to integrate that channel a little bit sooner. But um, yeah, I mean, this is kind of like one of those things where it's like, as a startup founder, it's like it's it's hard to like hear the word failure because like sure at the end of the day, like did the company fail? Is it going to go out of business? Yes, but like you also created something like in the universe that wasn't there before. You obviously shipped a ton of product, created a ton of value. So hopefully uh, the founding team over there, um, you know, does do something uh, again. And, and there is, um, you know, another kind of uh, space that they're looking to get into. Cause like you said, uh, CJ with a little bit of like the, not scorched earth, but some of the call outs here, uh, it is going to be hard to kind of play in that space. I think after this exit for sure. Yeah, I, just, I mean, I, I I never dug deep into house due diligence because the multiple was always too high for us. Um, but like, I, I typically when something like this happens, it's a it's everybody's fault. Like, I I, I'm, I'm, I just don't think that Constellation rubbed them. I think, that, and and we'll we'll see what comes out in some of the the future press. But I, I'd be really interested to understand their cogs and operation structure and, and whether or not. They they were making enough of a margin for most constellation to get involved in something that ships D to C because don't forget constellation bought empathy it's not like constellation doesn't have like really keen insight 
to a, a fairly briskly moving D to C wine brand. Um, so they're not, they're not blind. Yeah. Um, I, and then I think one of the part, I mean, we can kind of touch on this last piece, like, and I think, I think I already kind of know your, both of your answers on here, but I think it did mention like, kind of like the timing of Constellation's other investment in Archer, like having anything to do with that. CJ, do you think like there's any kind of like um, truth to that? Or is it just kind of like part of like this kind of like, hey, listen, we need to, we're, we're these are all the reasons we think it was, and we're going to make it public as soon as possible. I think that is difficult for me to comment on and fraught. All I'll say is Archer's definitely deserved the deal they got from Constellation and Marion's doing a great job. Yeah, no, it's a killer brand for sure. Um, awesome. So let's go to um, our next topic here. Uh, big acquisition. I don't know if either of you have one. I do not have one, but uh, Amazon purchased iRobot, which is obviously the maker of Roomba, uh, which is kind of that little robot uh, <laughs> vacuum cleaner that creepily goes throughout your house, just vacuuming while you're not doing uh, watching it. Um, I think a lot of people are kind of like, well, why does this acquisition make sense? Um, but they really didn't purchase iRobot for, uh, or, or iRobot for like the Roomba or anything like that. It's more of the fact that it can actually map out your entire house. So kind of reading a few articles, the way that they're looking at it is if your kid has certain toys on the floor, they can actually map out what those toys are so they can figure out what marketing ads to to serve up to your family uh, to get you to buy more products from those makers. If they, if the room is going through your house and it can see that you have no furniture, it can realize, okay, okay, well, maybe Alexa needs to serve you ads for furniture companies. This is really like about Amazon's play of like getting deeper inside of your house, better understanding the customer. Um, and the fact that like the smart house isn't really very smart right now. And I think that that's kind of the hill that Amazon's going towards right now. So one, it kind of creeps you out as a consumer, I think for sure. Um, I don't really have a ton of those smart devices inside of my house because of that. Um, but I thought it would be an interesting topic just to kind of go through, like, where do we think the future is here? And do you find it e e equally as creepy as I do? Uh, so Taylor, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys could probably guess, like, I'm not buying this thing anytime soon. I don't know, like, what, I guess my, que I guess my question is, is like, who are they, are they like, who would be the, the consumer to be like, wow, this sounds great. I would love for someone to tell me like all the stuff that I don't have that I want, I need to buy. Like in my mind, I don't know. It just feels like, I'm just trying to understand like who they think. I mean, obviously people like, yes, people love being organized and all that. And I understand that. And they want to clean their apartment. They want to clean their house, et cetera. But like people, I, I'm just trying to get like who they think they're targeting with like something that to me feels very invasive and a little bit aggressive. <laughs> yeah I, I agree and I think I think like especially like younger millennials Gen Z like they they're aware that their data has value right and so there's actually a lot of startups kind of like coming out of the space about allowing consumers to profit off of their data in, in more creative ways but like this is just like scraping data from somewhere that's sacred right inside your house and then better serving you up ads or things that um, they think that you need to purchase so um, yeah I agree I think like as a consumer it's definitely like it feels a little invasive um, but it's also like such a I think a power move by Amazon where they're going to deeply understand what their consumers need and, and just again gives them a leg up on their main competitor which at the end of the day is Walmart. And, and so that data is, is critical for them. CJ, how about you? Uh, this is going to come as a shock to you. 
Amazon already knows if you have kids. Amazon already <laughs> knows what kind of toys you have. Amazon already knows what kind of furniture you have. Like, like this is this is clickbait 101. Like, like they they're buying Roomba because Roomba's margins are savage, and these robots actually work pretty well now. And and in the same way, they like to sell doorbells and Alexas. Like, like you know, I've got one. Its name is Buster. It's not it's not a Roomba. It's a different brand. But like, you can't tell we own dogs upstairs. Downstairs, totally different, totally different story because <laughs> we can't go downstairs. But um, they it's a critical actually, flaw. Yeah, they, they actually work. Um, they keep you from having to, you know, go through and sweep and vacuum your house every day if you have a dog. And like this mapping thing, like I'm sorry, like the, the amount of information they already have on you, it just gets articles read. Like Amazon's buying this because Roomba's got great margins, and a lot more people are going to have robot vacuums five years from now than they do today. All right, Taylor, did you get that? We we got we got we were clickbaiting there. <laughs> we were clickbaited. <laughs> we were clickbaited. I'll, I'll I'll move it to cart right now and purchase. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like like I one hundred percent like I I vouch for Buster. Buster rocks rocks the, the pet hair. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I do think like, obviously it, it's, I, I do hope, think it will provide more data to them in the long term. but uh, I think obviously like it was definitely a power acquisition for them and, and something I'm excited to see how it kind of shakes out here over the next few years. I mean, the, the most, the, the most data rich thing it provides is you're someone who will pay $500 for a robot vacuum. Like just that piece of information about a consumer, like means a lot more than, than, you know, like what toys are on the ground. <laughs> No, that's definitely true. Um, all right. So the next topic um, that kind of came up um, was brands are obviously uh, customer acquisition costs is way up. I think brands are looking for really creative ways to get in front of new customers. We talked about Be Real um, a few months ago or a few episodes ago um, and as kind of a new uh, social platform for brands to get in front of. Uh, but this is a pretty old platform with Reddit um, that is now kind of picking up steam with a lot of brands. Um, I think this article uh, from Modern Retail was kind of highlighting how a fashion brand went to essentially a subreddit for petite fashion advice and, and which has over 400,000 members and started using that uh, essentially as a market research group, uh, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, putting out surveys, putting out questions, being super engaged with that audience. I think a lot of the ways that brands kind of used to use Facebook groups uh, four or five years ago, it was talking about how brands are now starting to use Reddit threads um, for that. I'm a big Reddit fan. Uh, I go there to find answers all the time. So I love brands kind of approaching uh, Reddit as another platform for them to be able to use. Uh, I'm also a big believer that you need to be tapping into your customers from day one. And if you're just starting out and you don't have a consumer base, like this is a great place to really, really drill down on who that right customer is uh, and engage customer base and start asking them questions to help refine your company, uh, your approach and your product. Um, but Taylor, kind of what were your thoughts, um, you know, on this? Do you think this is an, an active channel, um, you know, for brands and, and can you see that this being valuable to brands in the future? Yeah, I mean, I, I even saw, like, I've been trying to, two platforms, like I haven't fully figured out that I'm still trying to figure out the best, like, approach for, for a lot of my founders is, is Reddit and Pinterest. Um, Pinterest is a little bit easier for like non-elk stuff, I feel like. And I've seen a lot of actual posting around cool like mocktails, not an alcoholic brand. So it's cool. So Pinterest, I'm looking into. Reddit, Reddit's interesting. I think one of the things that I guess I didn't realize or I had looked into, but I thought was like, you know, 
like not kosher was brands getting involved. Am I losing it? Like, I thought that at some point I had heard or read that bread, brands can't really like integrate themselves into the conversation. I could be totally losing it, but I thought that there was like church and state there. Like if a, there was a thread around sparkling water and then like bubbly water was like, what do you think about this? Like, I actually thought that was like completely not allowed. So if, you know, reading this, I'm a little bit like, well, I need to take a step back and re reevaluate the platform because I, I agree there are tons of things on there that I too like to look at and kind of go down those spirals and there's like subreddits and all this other stuff that I think could be really helpful, even just for brands to see what's trending and what, you know, like what people are talking about, right? Like what are those bigger conversations? But I did think that at a high level, like brands weren't able to actually like fully integrate themselves into these conversations as a brand. But I, maybe, maybe I was, when I was working in cannabis, maybe it was just cannabis related. I don't know. Yeah. And I don't know. It's a, it didn't really outline if it was the, um, if it was the founder who was kind of posting or if it was the brand, but that's something we can. That's my question. Yeah. Yeah. We can definitely look into, cause I agree. I haven't really ever seen like company posts on Reddit. Uh, and I do feel like um, that probably is not a great approach. <laughs> that's what because, I was thinking, right, yeah. right. Because I know like people are pretty like avid. Um, what's the other one? Like uh, where you like, what's the platform where like you ask questions and like there you'll see a lot of times, um, you know, um, a, a company come in with an answer or promotion there. It'll come to me soon. But uh, yeah, no, I thought I thought it was interesting. But I also, you know, I agree with you, Taylor. I didn't really, I, I don't usually see brands kind of pop up there. So I'll have to dive deeper and see if it's brands or, or um, the actual founders kind of participating on this channel. CJ, how about you? Are you going deep into Reddit rabbit holes? Um, well, as- I mean, yeah, absolutely. As a function of my conspiracy theory research. Like, <laughs> I mean, like in many ways, I kind of read this article as uh, internet provides tribal association. Brands can potentially utilize that but beware around authenticity and it's kind of like cool shocked no one (laughs) internet to talk about things that are important to them and they coalesce around said topics and if brands are authentic they are allowed in the conversation if they're not they're chased out with pitchforks and torches so i i you know i know i'm oh dude a dog just walked in yeah Uh, not mine Uh, uh, um we're off the rails yeah (laughs) aside I think that I think that all you know places of of where consumers kind of gather and talk openly about you know about product is a worthwhile place for brand to go meet them. You know, it's, it sounds like this you know, you know Reddit might be much more effective for actual deep research as opposed to to attempt to do to do marketing tactics. Um, and if you do the latter, you could you could run afoul of of some of these groups, but. Um, you know, I'll, I'll ask my portfolio companies if they're mining any nuggets from Reddit. Are you? How are you seeing your portfolio companies approach market research? Obviously, there's platforms like Suzy and things like that. But I mean, like, is it? Are, is it something that, like, especially as like a startup, right? Are you discounting and just saying, "Hey, listen, we're going to do internal team meetings to figure this out," or are your brands like really going out there and trying to do deep research on consumer bases before making decisions on new products or verticals or whatever? I think that they, if you're answering honestly, it's still a lot of anecdotal and intuition, or you know, around around you know skew extensions, Um, you know, so much of so much of like the better for you world is really just defined by like, does it taste good? 
um, which I, I think is a, a subjective, you know, there's, an, there's, there's enough kind of publicly available information to understand what the popular flavors are in beverage, what the popular flavors are in, you know, in food. And you can lean into those you know, within, you know, within your you know, brand value proposition without needing to go burn as much money as the larger you know, conglomerates do, which is more a function of CYA than it is about like, hey, let's try and un uncover some really new consumer insights. Yeah, I think the the pitfall that so many brands go into is like, and, I, and I've done too, is like where you, like you go to a trade show or you'll do a demo and like you're the founder or you're the sales, you're in front of them and they're trying your product. And like, and of course they're going to give you overly positive feedback. Like when a person's like right there in front of you um, mm -hmm. and like it tends to be really skewed towards the positive because uh, the person just wants to get out of there. So you'll leave that experience with maybe like five or 10 people being like, yeah, people love this. Or you'll do a weekend at Expo West or Expo East and you'll be like, you'll overinflate those tiny positive uh, interactions you have, which will really lead some brands like off the deep end and really devote, like I've seen brands devote years because they just think like, this is the greatest thing. This is the greatest brand. We're on the right track. And it's like, you, you're not really doing market research. You're taking anecdotes and putting those into your business. Hey, like spoiler alert again, when you're doing this from behind double pane glass with million dollar budgets, you're talking to people that have time to come into a research center on a Tuesday afternoon. And like, guess what? They're able to figure out which brand you're testing there because you've got all the competitor brands they're tasting as well. They've seen all those on the shelf and they go, yeah, this new one's really tasty. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I mean, for that reason, it's why I, I, I could, you know, back when I was doing all that innovation stuff, I could care less about brands that had high top two box scores. I only cared about brands that had high top box, high low, like, Real, you know, super purchase intent and, and also people saying, I fucking hate this. Um, that I would start to believe um, and, and think that you might have something out there where, where, where it forces segmentation of consumers. But like, no, you know, anecdotal tasting at Expo West isn't that much different than what happens. You just yeah. pay a million dollars for it. Yeah, I mean, like, it's the same thing I said a few episodes ago, like, the last company I worked with was a dessert hummus company. We had people email us saying, I put this on everything. And we had other people say, there's like, this is the worst thing white people ever invented. And it's like, that's how we knew we had a hit, right? Like, you elicit <laughs> a strong reaction. Yeah. Uh, Taylor, what's your thoughts on kind of how brands approach, you know, market research and, and feedback? And, um, you know, what are the tips that you provide to, to your companies that you work with? Yeah, I mean, all those things make sense. I agree with CJ, too. Like, I don't think a lot of these companies even kind of further down the road brands that I have been advising or I'm now advising, like do a whole lot of that. Um, with that being said, I think they do take into account a lot of feedback, whether like you guys said, it's at an expo or on social media or in person. So, or if, you know, they have, there's a liquor store and they get feedback, just direct feedback on what customers are saying and stuff like that. So I think, I think it's a bit more informal and rolling. Um, and I agree. I think there's just this kind of like with, with a lot of the big corporations, like, we're just going to hire some big company and spend six figures and they'll tell us exactly. It's like, yeah, okay. A lot of these companies that I work with just can't afford to do that. So they just need to figure out other ways to try to get that feedback. And I agree. I think sometimes people will just flat out tell you if they like something or they don't, which is a good litmus test. And then kind of just aggregate feedback through various channels as you go and iterate accordingly. You know, I just don't think those kind of big surveys anymore, those big you know companies that are like, here, let me spend you know, hundred thousand dollars to provide you with exactly what it's like. Yeah. Okay. But they just, a lot of these companies don't have the resources to do that. So we figure out other ways around it. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot more 
product interactions with like, ugh, this is not for me versus like, wow, this is the most amazing thing I've ever tasted, which, you know, to me shows that a lot of the, like one, I'm not every single consumer, but two, um, you know, I don't know if everyone's opening themselves up to a ton of feedback as early as they should be. But at the same time, if you're starting a company, you're starting a brand, like you're also at the whims of, of what you can do in, in your budget. So like you said, CJ, like a lot of times big focus groups are just not, um, not going to work for these companies, but also they're not necessarily relevant either. I will like another plug, like Suzy is a great platform. Like we've had a lot of brands use them. So if anybody is looking for market research, uh, a quick shout out to, to Suzy and the team over there, what they built. All right, let's dive into the last topic. Uh, I found this one just genuinely interesting. Um, it's kind of a topic we haven't touched on, but obviously, um, uh, economy, uh, macro level stuff that's going on right now. It's definitely very tough on people. I think a lot of um, people who were um, banking on kind of stimulus checks and everything over the last two years uh, have found themselves in a really difficult spot, especially when buying things like uh, groceries, baby formula, and then things that are getting really expensive like gasoline, uh, which prices are up, you know, over 150% um, kind of right there year over year, uh, are actually turning to GoFundMe, which I thought was really interesting. I thought something we could kind of touch on really quickly. Um, one, I just, I, I've never heard of GoFundMe being used for like personal expenses. Um, I've literally only used it, seen it for like charities or events, or like right now I'm trying to raise money for like the New York City Marathon. Like I've only really ever seen it kind of in that um context i've never really seen it for personal uh, use um but it seems to be working i mean we see people like oh, like this article kind of outlined people using it for like 200 300 grocery lists and and being able to raise quite a bit more money off that relatively quickly um so yeah cj we'll start with you kind of what were your thoughts here are you, were you also surprised to see the platform is used in this way um and just kind of your overall thoughts i mean i think it's it's great if, if it can, you know, if it, and hopefully people are being genuine about their need. And I think it's wonderful that, that folks are reaching out to help. Like this is, this is one of the points of the internet to, to be able to lower friction. So stuff like this can actually work. Um, I mean, as far as people needing help with their groceries because of inflation, I don't know. I was, I was told by the white house press secretary yesterday that was 0% inflation in, in, in July. So I don't know what these people's problems are, that, that, or maybe they're not measuring inflation quite correctly. And I know that my grocery bills are up significantly more than 8.5%. So um, I, I think it's a bummer that it's necessary, but um, I don't think we want to turn this podcast into CJ's feelings on why inflation exists. <laughs> I'll, I'll go back and look through the metrics and see when people uh, turned off the the podcast this week. I mean, like I always I always joke around, like uh, like I always tell my wife, it's like doesn't matter like what I throw in my cart at Trader Joe's, it's 120 bucks. Like it does not matter. And like oh, now yeah. it's like every I tell time my wife, it's like it's 180 bucks. <laughs> it's like it doesn't matter what I put in there. It's 180. So yeah, I mean it, it's definitely. Uh, it's definitely taking a toll. I mean, like, and it's, uh, I mean, if it, it's affecting everybody. So Taylor, what were your thoughts on this? And had you seen the platform be used in this way uh, in the past? Um, I've seen GoFundMe, unfortunately, in situations I had a really awful scenario with a friend that um, her, her husband passed away of COVID at like 30 something last year. And they do, I've seen a bunch of GoFundMe's for those types of things where it's not even much really funeral costs, but it's more like to, you know, help the family with different parts of, and I think they've actually done multiple GoFundMe's for different things that her and her family need, which I, I have seen. Um, 
around this. I don't know. Like I've never seen any like individual people on my network, you know, with GoFundMe pages around this stuff, but I, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't really surprise me. I mean, this is like, you know, we're in a really hard time and things are really expensive and, you know, I'd rather people do this than, you know, do things that are, you know, involve crime or, you know, stealing stuff, like anything like that. Seriously. Like, I don't know, but to me, it's like, I don't think that we're at a moment in time where people need to feel embarrassed by doing efforts like this. I mean, it's just the reality of things. Like it says here, like baby formulas rose 700%. Like it's the nature of the beast. And so if people can come together to help each other out, like I don't see a negative. So I don't say I haven't seen this, but it doesn't surprise me. And I don't see an issue with it. Yeah. Baby formula makes a ton of sense to me. I mean, like for that to be the biggest increase on their platform uh, this year, uh, we are, we obviously touched on the shortage, but it's also something that's already inherently expensive and it's, it's necessary. I mean, it's just, unfortunately, um, you know, it's a, it's a case by case situation for every family. Um, and it, it's just, it's imperative, um, for those households. So, um, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a, a kind of a nice story to bring light to, you know, um, to our kind of network and, and people that are watching the show. Um, but yeah, I thought it was super interesting to see the platform be used in that way and, uh, and definitely helpful, um, as we continue to kind of endure through these tough financial and economic times. Um, all right. Well, that's kind of it for this week's docket of topics, uh, CJ and Taylor. Thanks so much for joining us as always. Uh, we'll be back next week with another great episode.